write down a piece of paper and write your eulogy or write your obituary. If you were to die in that day, like if I were mm-hmm. to die today, this is what they're going to say about me. And I want mm-hmm. you to write it. And if you want to make it even more powerful, write that from the perspective of your spouse, yes, your children, your friends, like what would they say? And then you need to really ask yourself, is that enough? Is that really enough? Because for someone who's like me is a high performer, competitive, disciplined, what it told me is I would have been remembered as nice, rich guy with cool cars. And that's not enough. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Tony Watley is a business mentor, speaker, best-selling author of Side Hustle Millionaire and the host of the 365 Driven podcast. Though originally from a successful corporate career in oil and gas, he's best known as the co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive business which grew into the largest of its kind, selling for millions after only five years. In our chat today, we discuss how he got leverage to create a successful business, hint, single parent with lots of credit card debt, his struggle to fit into his larger, more public role when his book became a bestseller. And he also shares the secret to staying remarkably calm when you hit a wall at 130 miles per hour. Tony asked this question, how would you be remembered If that was it, if you were to drop dead right now, what would they say about you? And is that enough? This is a good one, Pivoters. Let's get into it. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us at Pivot Me today. April, thank you for the opportunity and shout out to our good friend, Kim Carr, who introduced us. And I can't wait to get to know your audience a little better and give them some value today. Oh, I know you will. I know you will. So my team looked into you, then I looked into you and just such great information out there. You know, you and I were talking a little bit about formal education. We're just going to get right into it. You and I have the similarity of we both have college degrees. We both put ourselves through college and that entails working usually numerous jobs, very long hours and takes us a while to get through college because of that. Not all the entrepreneurs go that direction. Talk to us about why you went to college. Like if that's something your parents encouraged you to do and would you do it all over again? Yeah, that's a good story. My parents, blue collar workers. My mom worked in the public school system as a cafeteria worker. My dad was in the U.S. Marines, Vietnam vet. And after the military, he worked chemical refineries here in Houston. And so I got to see the value of hard work. And and I was actually the first one in both sides of my family to go to college But like you said, I had to go pay for that. So I actually worked Mm -hmm. construction and waited tables and was a part-time mechanic. And I would do things, odd jobs just to really pay for school. And I was broke and sleep deprived and depressed and stressed out. And when people look back fondly on their college years, I think you must have had a pretty damn easy life because that was actually the worst time of my life. I actually had more gray hair. I don't dye my hair. 
I actually had more gray hair in college because of that. I was just broken, sleep deprived and malnutrition. And, you know, just, it was, it was just always a constant struggle. And I don't look back lovingly on those years. That was my 24 seven hustling grind era of my life. And so just like most Americans, the reason that you go to get an engineering degree is that you want to go earn six figures. They tell you that the American dream is to go make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Nobody in my family had ever done that. My mom never did that. And so you can go be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, or, you know, they give you like five different degrees to choose mm-hmm. from. I said, well, I love cars. So maybe there's something in engineering. I can, I didn't know what engineering was, but everybody's like, man, there's something in engineering that has to do with cars. So that's why I went mechanical. And to be honest, I was very average at math in high school. I made straight A's all the way through school, but classes in high school were pretty easy for me. College kicked my ass. You know, I actually had to learn how to study and and I actually had to become good at math and chemistry. I see that you got the degree in that background. Organic chemistry kicked oh, my ass. Oh God, the little models that you'd have to uh, manipulate. That uh, was that was my worst class, organic chemistry. Why do they have that? That's like the biggest weed out course for engineers. Like, why do engineers need that? Let's be yeah, real. doesn't you make know? sense. We don't need it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so college, that's that's why I went to school and you know, I did, it did create a six figure, actually created a multiple six figure corporate income in my later in my career. But again, it takes 20 years to go make hopefully Mm $200,000 with an engineering degree. You can get to a hundred pretty quick in mechanical, especially oil and gas. You can get there in the first five years, but then you're like on that plateau forever until you start getting right under executive level. And then you start to get in the high one hundreds and then you cross 200 about the 20 year mark. And so I actually started my first business at age 28 because I had graduated school at 28 and I had really about seven years of applicable experience in working in chemical refineries. I was a project engineer. I was a laborer. I did all these things. I welded. So I had a lot of practical knowledge versus the people who are graduating at that same age. And I was able to advance. Okay. But I started hitting these ceilings that are created by society. You're too young to be a project manager. No one's in their 20s that can manage millions of dollars. And mm-hmm. they start telling you that you're going to wait your turn or you pay your dues. And you start looking at your supervisor and your supervisor's supervisor. And you start looking at how long it's going to take to get to that cubicle mm-hmm. and maybe that next bigger cubicle. Okay, this one's three years away. Next one's 10 years away. Like, oh, my gosh. So I really got tired of being told to wait my turn and pay my dues. And I know that some of your younger listeners will probably relate to that. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for external ways to go be creative and make decisions and take some risks and learn some new skills. And that's why I started my first business. I was 28. I was a, a single father at the time had a you know infant son. And I was actually still in that depressive cycle. I just come off of a, a one year downturn in the industry. I was laid off. I was living off credit cards. I had my apartment and my son's mother's apartment to pay for. And I was just spiraling out of control. Like I felt like my life was kind of out of control and starting that first business was kind of like a gleaming beacon of light of just something to give me some hope, a creative outlet. And that's what I really needed to break my routine. Wow. You started the business on the heel of all these downturns, the layoff, the credit card debt, the depressive episode. And this is when you decide to start a business. Absolutely. I, I needed something. I've, what I've even come to learn, even in my 40s now, is that I need to do something productive. And if it's just something that's a routine, I can't, I can't do well. I feel like I'm not contributing or not pushing myself hard enough. So I'm always looking. And if I look back at my historical things, it was always that 
I had a downturn and then I did something creative. I made something or I wrote a book or I launched a podcast or I reinvented myself or went another career path or whatever it is. It's just, I have to do something creative. Is it because the downturn is the catalyst for the creativity or is it because you're actually meant to do creative work and the downturn just highlights that? I've always been a hands-on type person. I've always been an artist. I've always been someone that builds things. I build cars mm-hmm. literally from the ground up, every nut, bolt, wire, everything. So I like to build things and I like to just stay to the mission and just see the project through. That's just who I am. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of the discipline from my parents. My mom, Japanese immigrant, I was actually born in Japan on the Marine base. And she never got to go to school after junior high because in her culture, she's a baby boomer generation. They got plucked out of the school system at, as women around junior high level, and mm-hmm. they had to go work in the farms. So she valued education because she never received that. And my dad, he was the military gunnery sergeant in the Marines. So I got the discipline from all the other things in that regard. Yeah. So, you know, give you your listeners an idea. I didn't miss a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. So I'm pretty well disciplined at showing up and making sure I deliver and do things because Asian moms, like you hear this, the stereotype of, you know, if you get an A minus, that's might as well be an F. Well, that's how it was. That is some discipline. And you, I, as a parent, I'm also trying to imagine the logistics of never missing a day for your kid. I, I can't even imagine how much of the discipline that they raised you with carries through to your life today. A lot of it. I actually started to identify with showing up and delivering and creating results. And I've always been a high competitive type person anyway, so I could beat mm-hmm. people on a intellectual level and do things and get the grade. I was the curve buster, you know, that people were like, God oh, damn it, Tony got a hundred on this. And he screwed the curve up. And I was okay with that because, yeah. and, and this is really important for your, your, your parents out there that are listening to this, because if you instill a belief in your kids and you really reinforce these good behaviors, what happens is they start to identify as that and they carry that into productive lives. Mm -hmm. Because if you identify as someone who shows up every day and has discipline, that's who you become, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever complained about going to school. I mean, I think I started stacking the the perfect attendance probably around six or seven, you know, those. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like I have perfect attendance. And Mm -hmm. I started realizing that very few kids were getting that at the end of the year. And I was like, man, this is a way that I can actually be ahead. You know, this is easy. Just show up, just do what you're supposed to be responsible. It's not like extra work. Right. Yeah. And so I just started to realize that this is part of who I am. And, and honestly, it's not always about the parents because my sister and I were raised by the same parents and we have two complete opposite philosophies in that regard. So there's still a a level of internal identifying that you have to understand and and your kids are not always going to be the same. Yeah. I just chose that way. I chose that way. Yeah. It's interesting. The idea of never missing a day of school and then it eventually becomes your identity. I really want to go back to this whole idea of this downturn and then you start this business. So usually when someone's faced with, I've got to pay my bills, I've got to pay for this house for the mother of my son, right? Usually the answer is I better go get a job quick. What had to happen? Was this something that was brewing in you in a while, for a while that you're like, Hey, I want to be a business owner. And this is my opportunity. Like what, where was that change? Now, I actually, I actually started that first business as just a escapism. You know, a lot of people read books or watch TVs. I, I said, Hey, I need to go teach myself a new skill and maybe I can make some side money from this. And maybe that gives me a creative outlet. And I just wanted to build an automotive community that where my friends online could hang out and talk about cars and talk mm-hmm. about racing. So I actually bought a book and I still have the book back there. And people talk about what's the book that changed your life? 
I said, mine's pretty boring. It's an HTML coding book that I bought at Barnes and Nobles and probably in 1996, 98 timeframe. And wow. all I did was I came back to my computer and I read the book and I would practice on notepad and actually literally, literally code HTML on notepad. And I would learn it and I would look at it and I'd learn it and I'd look at it. And I would just go back and forth until I figured it out. And and so that's how I started to teach myself a skill. And I just make these really simple one page websites and I started to do those for other people and I started to get paid for those. That became actually my first side business is just making little simple web pages for you know, shops and stores and things around town. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always think about what are the skills I can create to maybe monetize. And that was the first one I did. So I didn't think about making a company that would eventually make millions of dollars and sell for millions of dollars. That wasn't even the, the top of my mind because of my childhood, I didn't have a belief in that. You know, I, I thought that, to be a business owner meant you already had to start out rich because they always, you hear this, like, oh, you got, sure. it takes money to make money. And we hear all these fallacies that are perpetuated by people who believe that stuff because mm-hmm. they've never experienced otherwise. And you start to adopt the same beliefs as them without ever challenging those beliefs. And it gets screwed up in your mind. And I remember like being a kid thinking, man, I'd be cool to own a business owner. But when I was a kid, it meant that you had to have brick and mortar location mm-hmm. on main street with your last name on the window, like Watley's plumbing or Watley's garage. And I said, sure. like, man, that's going to take a lot of money to have the business. But with the internet, it kind of dissolved all of those beliefs. Like, wow, the entire world could be my customer base. Is that yeah. really like, really? No way. And it completely so. compressed the time frame too. Tony, when did you realize that you had a real business? So I understand this mental leap that has to happen. So you start this out as a passion project. Like I really love this. And now it's going to be this place where friends can come and talk about cars and racing and things they love. When did you go, Oh shit, there's something here. I've got something real here. It was less than a year. I would say that probably by month 10, we were making about $10,000 profit. And that was more than my salary at the time. And I said, this is kind of a business. I may have to go do something, then sure. put it in my bank account every month. And so I, I didn't know all entrepreneurship stuff. I didn't know what LLCs and S corps were. I didn't understand all that. I just said, well, let me get on a search. It's probably Yahoo at the time. I don't even yeah. think Google was a thing. And I said, you know, where, where am I going to do this? Like, what, what is this? And I just figured it out. I just kind of just followed the steps, looked at blogs back then and read some books. And I was like, okay, cool. And the reason I want to point that out is because a lot of times people focus too much on trying to arm themselves with a bunch of knowledge before they get started. And you and I both know that this could last decades before someone actually takes that first step towards their first checking account or their first LLC or even a DBA. I mean, you could literally go create a business in one day if you like put that. your mind to it. Like mm-hmm. one day now, especially with all the online. Back then we had to it's go easy. to the local county office. And file it. Paperwork and then yes. wait and get a stamp. Get it notarized. notarized. Yeah. It's, Who's the notary? So Who has the stamp? So crazy. So easy now. So, so easy now. So so I, I always want to illustrate that point that I didn't plan on making millions of dollars mm-hmm. and I didn't plan on being a business owner. It, it just sort of happened. And, and this is important because every successful business owner that I've ever known, and I know a lot of them, I have 4,000 of them in my community. They just started. They just, they just looked at something that was yep. missing and they needed or something that annoyed them about life. Yep. And they said, what if I can create a solution or a product that solves that annoyance in my life? Or I could do it better than what's existing. It's really simple because everybody thinks that if you want to be a business owner, you got to be an inventor for some reason. They think that you got to be Elon Musk and go invent something. And it's not true because 
99% of the businesses out there are just better versions of something that already existed. They're just looking at what other people are not doing well. And they say, hey, we can just improve that 5% and we got mm -hmm. an actual viable business model. So don't think that you're an inventor. Don't think that you need to have all the answers. Literally just go buy a domain name, go create a, a business checking account, go create a DBA until you understand what an LLC or an S corp is. Sure. That way you can start reporting your taxes mm -hmm. and get a PayPal or a Stripe account. These are like things you could do in one day. Sure. And literally you will have a business in one day. I, one of the clients I work with, she kept procrastinating on filing her business. And here's the thing. It's not because we're missing the know-how. It's because we have to make this mental leap, right? Like we are, we are the bottleneck to our businesses and our lives. It's, it's rarely more education. It's usually just, we have to make this mental shift. And finally we dialed in and I work as her business advisor. We dialed in one day and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do today. We're filing your, your business. I'm like, we're going to share screen, share screen on a zoom call. And we're going to log into Texas is where she lives. And we filed her business in a 60 minute zoom call. I'm like, check that box, do this, do this. Great. Now you have this number. Now you're going to go out and you're going to get a checking account in this business's name. And she's like, all this time I've waited to file it. I'm like, now you're a business owner. Congratulations. Go get accustomed to your new identity. Cause now you're no longer just an employee. And we make it into this big thing, but the, the price of admission is a lot less than what we think. Then you got to get in and do the work, but it's just us making that mental leap. That's the hardest. Tony, when you got this idea and you, you're doing this at the time, did you know a lot of business owners and was your peer group supportive of what you were doing? I didn't know any business owners and there was no business owners in my family. So I just learned what I learned from reading books. I didn't have a mentor or a coach or a, anything yes. like that. I just read books. I, I still love to read books. I read probably a book a week or listen to them on audible. I've mm -hmm. always been that way. I think that there's a lot of value in learning from other people's mistakes. And that's generally what books are is a documentation of advice of mistakes. And sure. you know, people hire coaches and advisors like you and I for mistake avoidance. The number one reason we get hired is for mistake avoidance. Like they don't tell you, they don't come to you going, Hey, tell me what to do. They, they come to you and go, Hey, tell me what not to do. So true. It's so much more expensive to understand what not to do and not wasting your time. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I didn't have any mentors or advice. It's funny. I just recently wrote an article on that, that that was one of the biggest mistakes I'd made in my, in my corporate career and my entrepreneurial career is that I did not have mentors. I did not have someone that kind of took me under their wing and I, I didn't, I tried to seek them out, but I really didn't know how to when I was younger. And that was one of the things that made my journey much harder than it needed to be much longer, harder. I had to work way more hours. Same. Didn't know any business owners. Same about college too and graduating. So there's a lot of firsts in there. And what that means is that you're on point, you're taking the charge, but you have nobody that you're chasing. And the best that I had was books. I was chasing John Maxwell. I was chasing Robert Kiyosaki. I was chasing whoever, Tony Robbins, Les Brown. Those were the people that I was chasing, Jim Collins, but I didn't actually know those people. And so you didn't know anyone who was doing this. I'm sure you had to have pressure of like, no, 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 just go get a job. Like stop spending your oh, time yeah. doing this. You need to do the safe, secure job route. How did you get past yeah. that? I, I didn't. I, I stopped working in 2015. And the thing is, is that, when you go through the hardships of paying for your degree and you're the first one in your family and you don't want to let the family down and you're successful in the eyes of your friends and your family, because I've always been like the successful one of my friend circle, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, you carry a lot of pressure on your back. And I really want to speak to the listeners out there that have been working a career that's 
10, 15, 20 years in, and they feel like that that's all they can do. And they feel like they're highly compensated or they're good at what they do, but they don't love what they do. There's something missing. And I've get clients all the time that come in that they're in their mid thirties or their early forties and they're, they're not happy. And they, and then, and we start to look back, why aren't you happy? You're, you're making all the money. You've got a beautiful house. You've got a family, you've got the car you wanted, like what, like all these material things and the things that they wanted are existing, but they're not happy. And what it all comes down to, I hate to tell you is that they're fulfilling the fantasy or the dreams of somebody else in their family. Usually one of their Mm -hmm. parents or a teacher or a mentor that said, Hey, you should be a lawyer because lawyers make six figures and you go, okay, I guess I'll go be a lawyer and you go through the school and you spend six years in school. Then you get your degree and it's expensive and you finally paid on your loans and you're highly compensated and you get 10, 20 years of experience. And it's hard to walk away from that because what am Mm -hmm. I going to do? All I know is this, right? It is pure handcuffs. And when you start to realize like, this was never my dream. Cause if I want to listeners to think about this, like when you were a kid, when you're in kindergarten Mm -hmm. and someone said, Hey, Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? Nobody said say middle nobody manager. Said, nobody, nobody said engineer. Nobody said lawyer. Sure. Maybe, maybe doctors because they can be perceived as social heroes or firemen. Or mm-hmm. for me, it was race car driver, stunt man or fighter jet pilot. Right. Like cool stuff. Like, Seems you cool. know, like super cool stuff. Like I'm an adrenaline junkie. So those things I gravitate towards. But so ask yourself, are the, the career that you're in, or is this something that you really really had passion for? Or was it something that you pursued because it was a recommendation or a suggestion? So now you're like, damn it, damn it, Tony, you're telling me this stuff and it's hurting me. So it was hard to walk away. And even, even after selling my company in 2007 and going on to start other companies and doing really well, my mom doesn't understand entrepreneurship. And I understand where her, her perspective comes from. Sure. And, and to this day, she'll still ask me if I'm looking for a job, right? Are you, Tony, are you going to use your degree? I hate to see your engineering degree not get used. And I'm like, mom, I'm okay, man. It's like, when I, when, if I yeah. ever have to start asking you for money, then you should probably inquire about my career. Because if I tell her business owner or that I'm coaching people or that I'm having live events, once in a while, she'll look over my dad's shoulder while looking at Facebook and see the stuff I'm doing. And but she doesn't understand it. She doesn't understand. Yeah. How does that make money? Like how does making videos and this podcast mm-hmm. thing and this coaching thing, like, how does that make money? Right. And you know, I make more in a weekend than she's make her entire year in, in her career, but she doesn't understand that. So I understand her perspective, sure. but it, sure. it's, we have these external influences, like you said, trying to push us back into the box that they defined for us. And you know, one I'll add to that list. I love, I love what you just said about the thing that you're doing and is it really fulfilling you? And if you kind of have this gnawing sensation, a lot of times it's because what you're doing is pursuing something that you're not really passionate about. It may be someone else's dream. I'll I'll add one more thing in there or an older version of you's dream. Like you wanted this at one point, you wanted to be whatever it is, a singer and choose the career, but then you changed, but you didn't give yourself permission to change everything else. So Uh, I love it. Now I want to pursue this other thing and it's been bugging me for a while, but man, I spent so much time in my education. It's it's funny. I, I I shared a bit ago, there was an article that was written on this, this guy that became a lawyer and he was giving advice to another lawyer, this, this new lawyer. And she said, you know, if you could share some advice and he said, well, yes, he said, so I became, I studied and I got all of this debt and I passed the bar. He said, I went to work one day and I realized I absolutely hated being a lawyer. And I told my parents and I told my friends and I was like, this is terrible. This is not me. I hate it. And they said, you just spent all this money and all this time and you, you know, got to give it a try. And he said, so I spent 50 years being a lawyer and I hated every single day of it. And he said, and I could have just spent one 
And that just pains you, doesn't it? And, it, and it, people won't understand when we make these changes and that that's okay. And, and yeah. understand where they're coming from. Your mom doesn't understand how you make money and, and that's okay. I had another guest on that. He said, my mom keeps saying he missed like two or three classes for his degree, which is in like pharmacology. And he's very much a businessman. And he said, and every time I talk to her, she's like, when are you going back to school? He's like, mom, I make tens of millions of dollars a year. I don't need those three classes. Well, I just think you should have an education. Understand where it comes from. Yeah. Understand how they were raised. And and yeah. to, to your point, you know, your mom had a very unique situation. Of course, she's going to highly value education, but we still have to make the choice that makes sense for us, even though we might have these external influences nudging us in one way or another. I think that you nailed it on the evolving, because I've always been evolving. And mm-hmm. I would say that looking back, every decade of my life has had a different focus or a different purpose. Mm-hmm. You ask most people what the purpose is. They don't know. They usually say something honorable. Well, I just want to provide for my family. And that's what everybody says. Sure. To me, that's your duty. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is actually a higher potential than that. Your duty is to take care of your family. So the problem is, is that when you hang around with other people who aspire to be average or live an average life, that's the answer that they volley back and forth. And it just, no one ever challenges that Yeah. because if I say, because if I say April, I just want to provide for my son and my wife and my family, that is usually an indicator that I don't want to go further in this conversation yes. and that you're supposed to stop asking me questions, April, because it sounds honorable and it yeah. is, but your purpose, and I'm challenging everybody listening, your purpose is far greater than your family. That's your duty. That's your job. That's your responsibility. There's a difference. And now you're thinking, well, damn, what is my purpose? Well, I didn't know what that was either. I started thinking about what are my focuses like through my decade. So 20s was all about just trying to get that education. It took me seven years to graduate. I just focused on working and going to school and trying to get an education just so I can get a little bit ahead. 30s was all about stacking money. It's like, hey, I'm going to get the highest paying jobs. I'm going to make some sacrifices and be away from family. And I'm going to work overseas and international and climb the corporate ladder and put some crazy hours in and Mm -hmm. build some businesses. And then I did that. I made that. And I started realizing that that's not the keys of happiness because I've always Mm -hmm. been a happy person, even broke. I realized that just having nicer things doesn't make me happier. It just means I have nicer things. In 40s, I started thinking about, is this really what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Like, I don't really want to just stack money and do crazy things and sacrifice all this time, freedom and and working for corporate. And as we start to climb higher in corporate, we start to be more locked down. Most people think sure. you get more freedom. No, they just pay you more. Now you got more responsibilities. And mm-hmm. now your phone and your emails and more go access off all to the you. time. Yes. Yeah, all the time. 24-7. It's like, it's like you'd almost rather just be back a, like a mid-level employee that just can stays off the radar. Yeah, right? less but, responsibility, that's yeah. for sure. So, so yeah, it's, it's purpose and all these things. And, you know, in 2015, I was racing cars and I had an accident and at the drag strip and I hit a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour. And as I was approaching the wall, I thought I was going to die in that moment. I actually said to myself, well, here I go. Cause engineering mind is like, Hey, it's bad odds to hit a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour in a two door sports car. And I just thought I was going to die in that moment. And the, and the thing is, is I was very peaceful in that moment. I felt really overwhelming sense of peacefulness and, you know, impact hit the airbags deployed. The car was just being ripped to shreds. And I just remember focusing on staying awake because I didn't know the extent of my injuries. I just knew that I was conscious and I need to get out of the car before it catches on fire and I go poof in a fireball. So the car's sliding and 
it's not it's dark and I hear all the racket going on. And, and I just remember just closing my eyes, just thinking like, when this thing comes to a rest, I'm going to get out of the car. And, I, and I, it did. And I got out of the car and there's wheels off of the car. Every panel in this car is destroyed. It's smashed into the front all the way up to the windshield. And the paramedic, I could hear it approaching from the far end of the track. And I hear my friends sprinting up the track and like everybody getting to the scene. And they put me in the back of the ambulance and paramedic goes, you know, takes my shirt off and is looking around, asking me questions, asking me if things hurt and things like that. And, and at the end, she says, like, can I tell you something unusual? And I was like, oh, great. I'm, I'm already thinking like, oh, here it goes. Like, is my leg backwards? Is, is my back sticking out of my spine? And like, what is it going to, she's going to tell me? And she just says, people crash out here all the time and you've had a major accident, but you're remarkably calm. She's there. Your heart rate's calm. You're blood pressure, everything. You don't have the adrenaline shakes. Like you don't have any signs of like, you're remarkably calm. And she goes, I, I've not seen that before. And that's why she was asking me questions to see if I had a concussion. And I was answering. Yeah. Clearly. Cause it's concerning. And, it's freaking yeah. her out. <laughs> and, and I said, I am calm. And I'm sitting in the back of this ambulance looking at the wreckage. And I'm thinking to myself, what if I would have died? Like looking at that car, like how, how come I'm still here? Why am I still here? And then I started to gravitate towards you know, how, how would I have been remembered if I would have been dead right now? Hmm. How, how would I have been remembered? What would I, what would they say about me? And man, that if you want to get punched in the gut right now as a listener, just ask yourself that if you were to drop dead right now, because no, no minute is guaranteed, how would you be remembered today? And, and, and if you don't feel emotional when you go through that exercise, I would say carve out an hour of your day at some point, mm-hmm. write down a piece of paper and write your eulogy or write your obituary. If you were to die in that, in that day, like if mm-hmm. I were to die today, this is what they're going to say about me. And I want mm-hmm. you to write it. And if you want to make it even more powerful, write that from the perspective of your spouse, yes, your children, your friends, like what would they say? And then you need to really ask yourself, is that enough? Is that really enough? Because for someone who's like me as a high performer, competitive, disciplined, what it told me is I would have been remembered as nice, rich guy with cool cars. And that's not enough. Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. 3%. Man, that's bad. I came from the big business world. And if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs, and they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full time. Connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call. That's not enough. I'd helped only people in my proximity. I'd helped 12 of my former staff members build seven through nine figure companies. They're always telling me, Tony, you should be doing this full time. Look at these results. I'm, oh, man, I'm proud of you guys. Like, Awesome. And I had all the convenient excuses in the world not to do that because I had insecurities. I didn't like being on camera. I didn't, I didn't like being in the spotlight. I didn't, I had a very successful life hiding behind corporate logos and my own logos. And I was the 
you know, the most, uh, I guess the best supporting actor role, right. That helped the other people become stars. And so I, I just said, well, I'm busy and I got a career and I got a family. So I don't, I don't want to do that like that. You don't need to do that. Right. Those are all convenient excuses. But after that accident, I realized that the only people benefited were the, the people that were close proximity to me. And that if I was going to go make true impact, I had to do more. I had to go impact as many people as possible. And I still didn't know what that meant. Right. I didn't know what my purpose was. What's the meaning of life type question. I didn't know that. I left my corporate career. It was 2015 at the end of it there. And next two years, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want a corporate job. So I just picked up consulting gigs and did things and started writing content and creating videos and wrote a book at the late of 2017. And, you know, so I actually launched 365 Driven as the brand in May of 2017. So there was almost a two-year window that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I decided at that point, the best way for me to make impact in this world is to teach people confidence in business, things that I have passion for, things that I can speak at a high level of energy all day long, every single day and love what I do. And I'm weird like that. I was the 12 year old kid that would read Forbes and entrepreneur and success because I was broke. They were talking about money and I would be at the magazine rack while my mom is grocery shopping and I'd read my car magazines and I always see these things over here talking about money. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't have any money. I can't even buy this magazine I'm reading. So maybe I stand if I'm here reading the whole thing yeah, while I'm here, I'm just going to read the money magazines and try to figure that out. And, and that's mm-hmm. what I did. And so, yeah, my earliest mentors were success and Forbes and entrepreneur mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And I didn't know what I was reading, but after about a year of reading those, I actually got a subscription to those and I started understanding it and I started putting things together and I started to understand money and business and I got fascinated with it. So I said, okay, that's, that's what my passion is. And the best way I am going to impact people is by teaching them business. That's I'm going to impact millions of people. That's the best way I can do that. So Tony, so a pivoter who's listening right now and they've had some measure of success, like things are going pretty good, but they know they're capable of so much more. What would you say to them? Like, okay, well, I've got a a decent business. I've got a good life. I've got a good family. You know, I work out, maybe I'd like to work out a little bit more. Maybe I'd like to vacation a little bit more, but they know that they're capable of so much more. What do you say to them? You're capable of everything that you can imagine and more. And I would say that you probably aren't even dreaming big enough. I think that a lot of times, even, even here's even my, myself as an example, when I wrote the book, you know, it's called Side Hustle Millionaire, and it's how to start and build your first business. Very basic book for people that are working and that want to build a, a side business. So that could be something that builds financial freedom. But even when I wrote that book, here, here's I'll give you two stories that I had imposter syndrome because I know you like the mindset, right? Do. We love imposter syndrome stories too. So give it to us, Tony. I wrote the manuscript with the title The Hustle. Not, not Side Hustle Millionaire, it was The Hustle. And because... Mm. You know, it's a buzzword and I used to be a collegiate nine ball champion and, and billiards. So it was kind of a play on words because I kind of like those things. And and so I give it to the editor and he's he's reading it and he gets halfway through it and he's like, man, this book's really good. Thank you. And he goes, we got to do something about this title. This is garbage. The Hustle. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, Mike, what do you think I should name this? And he's like, you're the side hustle millionaire. And, I, and even then when I heard that, I was like, it's kind of arrogant. It's kind of pop Like I had all the negative connotations <laughs> sure. around that because I didn't, again, I had a very private life. Right. And he says, okay, let's look at those two words. Which of those do you disagree with? Did you not build a company as a side business that made millions and you sold for millions? It's like, okay, that's true. And he goes, so which of these words do you disagree with? And I'm like, neither of them. And he's like, well, I think that's who you are. And that's going to be a book title that grabs more attention. And even then I was like, dude, let me sleep on it. I'm going to think about this. Mm -hmm. 
And I woke up and I said, side hustle millionaire. There's a calling there. I, I'm not comfortable with that title, but I need to become that character. I'm not, mm. What I wasn't comfortable was I wasn't the right person with the confidence and courage to go do that. Because even at that time, here's the second imposter syndrome. I used to say I was going to impact thousands of people. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. So, so to talk about that. That's because I, I once had a mission statement that said thousands and then someone crossed it out for me and wrote millions. I said, I'm going to impact thousands of people by teaching people business. And the book sold over a thousand copies the first week. Wow. And I was like, whoa, I guess... I kind of impacted thousands. Do I say I'm going to impact 10,000 people? That just sounds stupid, right? Yeah. I'm going to yeah. impact a hundred thousand. Now that still sounds stupid. So I had to say impact like Dr. Evil at millions, right? <laughs> I had to, yeah. had to pull that. Like, and even then it still sounded weird to me. Like I'm going to go impact millions mm-hmm. of people, but now I say it with ultimate confidence because I'm four years in and I've seen how it works, but kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the segment. Like I wasn't ready for success and I had to become the right person. I had mm-hmm. to pivot to, yeah. to grow and, and I had to invest. Mm-hmm. I had to go join a Toastmasters and I had to hire a speaking coach. And I did a video on social media every single day for a, for, for a year. And the first year I was doing this and I kind of took people along on this journey because I, I truly sucked at it. And I was willing to suck at doing that because I, I was a beginner. You so know? And, let's talk about the actual mechanics of this. Like, so you, you have the results you have this concept of the side hustle millionaire that your publisher pushes you into. Like we need a sexier title. Absolutely. You have to sell what people want Mm -hmm. you. And sometimes we have to rise to that occasion. So you've done the thing, you've got the results. Talk about the mechanics of now, how do I mentally get there? So I'm comfortable with this. You said I went from a private life and we know in this world, it has to be much more public. Something I struggled with as well. Like I, I came from a more private life and being up on social media all the time and being more visible about the results and the success and the, the things that you're doing. It's a transition. Talk to us about the mechanics. I, I love what you're just walking through then. So if you're someone who is making that leap, what do you have to do either mentally or actually like signing up for Toastmasters, being more visible? What does that look like? I think the first step and the hardest step is just to gain the confidence to quit worrying about what other people think about you. I think if you can shrug what other people think or what you assume they think of you, because that's the True. assumption, right? If you can just get rid of that fear, you will change your entire life because here's the spoiler alert. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are or how good your intentions are, you are guaranteed to have critics, haters, naysayers, all those labels. You're going to have that. And you got to realize that everybody that you know that has changed history and mankind, like if you just think of all these historic people in the world, even Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, like all these big names, They got haters. Every single one of them had them. Sometimes they had murderers. So Mm -hmm. what makes you think that you're going to be the first person in mankind history that's going to have everybody love you and everybody like you and everybody Mm -hmm. agree with you? It's just, it's impossible. So when you understand that, you go, okay, no matter how good I am or how good my intentions are, I'm going to have critics. And I actually say it, that if you don't have critics you don't have naysayers or haters. What it really means is you're obscure because some people will actually pat themselves on the back. Well, everybody likes me and nobody hates me and I have no critics. So I'm very special. Like, no, you're not doing anything mm-hmm. worth noticing. Nobody yeah. knows you. You're obscure. That's, or you're placating like, everybody. And that change yes. doesn't come from that. Yes. Yeah, so you can go into hiding. Like you and I could both go move into a cave and just separate ourselves from social media. We won't have any haters. Nobody hates me, any, nobody, but I'm not yeah. impacting people either. Exactly. So 
think of it as part of the game. You're going to have mm-hmm. one, one to 5% of the people that come across you. Cause think about this, like you as a human, there's people you don't like either. So understand that you're going to have people that dislike you just because you, you had to dislike people yourself. It just happens. So how do you transition from that? Well, you realize that, Hey, if I got a purpose, I need to put my purpose ahead of my fear. If my purpose requires me to do the things that I'm not comfortable with, to evolve, to improve, to become the champion of my message or my purpose, then that's what it takes. Right. And here's another twist on this because like dudes, like alpha dudes, like I come from a car, car scene guy, I built a community with over 500,000 members and they're car guys and they're racer, sure. they're alpha. Like we like cars and lifting weights and all those kind of things. And imagine like what that kind of group of people would think if they see a guy doing a selfie, like a selfie video. <laughs> totally. Here's the thing. If you have people out there that you admire, let's say that maybe it's celebrities or maybe it's politicians or whatever your thing is like personal development. What are they doing? They're, they're making those videos. They're sharing their journey. And that's they're how making, you inspire. They're making those videos. Like even like my mentors, like Ed Milet and Andy <sighs> Frizella, those are my mentors and they're mm-hmm. alpha jack dudes and highly successful. What are they doing? They're, Ed they're doing Milet selfies. does so much vulnerability though. He's like, oh he's the alpha guy, but then he's like feelings, 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 feelings. Yeah. I mean, Lu- Lewis, I mean, yeah. I mean, we both are in Lewis's group. It's mm-hmm. what are they doing? If if they're making impact, they're, they're getting their message out. And so you need to compare the people making impact for the people that are criticizing impact and go, which group do you really want to be in? Do you really want to be the ones that have no courage? Cause that's the real truth. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have courage or skills or abilities to do the selfies, you're going to criticize the people who do because you want to justify why you can't do it. But you're going to just say like, I don't want to do that because sure. they're acting like a little teenage girls or, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of weird stuff. So you need to start assessing your circle and go, are these people really making any real impact in their lives or sure. just being critics? And tie to your intention. Like, is it, okay, I'm taking this photo so that people get to see me and wow, I look cool and I just want the likes. Or is it like, hey, I just finished up working out at the gym and it's five in the morning and I'm going to take this photo because someone's going to see this photo and they're going to go, you know what? I was going to skip the gym today, but I'm going to do it now because I saw that. So tie to your intention. If it's entirely self-serving, then you might feel like a 15-year-old girl. But if it's like, no, because someone's going to see this and they're going to get to it this morning. They're not going to skip their gym workout. They're going to follow their meal plan today. They're going to take the extra mile, whatever that is. So uh, tie to your intention and that can get you through that. Yeah. The thing is, is also that understand the attention's definitely important, but it's mm-hmm. also what are, what are you serving? Say like most people have stage fright. They had the fear. Like I had stage fright. I didn't like to be on stage. Now I've spoken to audiences of 1500 people in the audience. That's a big room. When you, when you start to think about public speaking or videos or, or even a podcast or just being on stage, if you're worried and you have stage fright, what it is is because you're too inward focused. You're, you're focused too much on yourself. You're, you're focused on what do I look like? What do I sound like? What am I dressed like? Mm-hmm. It's all about in, inward focus. Me, 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 me. That, that's why you have stage fright. You're insecure because it's focusing on you. When you start to get enough reps and get enough confidence and get enough experience, because you can't skip this part. You actually mm-hmm. have to do the reps to get past that, which I did those videos every day to get past that. When you start to gain the confidence and understand that you're serving the message and serving them, 
you don't worry about you anymore. Yeah. You get dressed and you, you fix your hair, but then that's it. Like you just forget about that stuff. And when you step on the stage and there's thousands of people out there, you're there to deliver the content to them. You're focused on pouring outward to them and energizing everybody in the room instead of focusing inward on you. So when you start focusing on external, you don't have stage fright anymore. I love it. I love it. I've, I've heard this phrase. I think Rory Vaden says it when the mission to serve is clear, is it there'll be no fear? I feel like it didn't rhyme that that smoothly, but we're going to go with it. The idea is if you're there to serve your people and if you're there, if you're really connecting to the one person in the audience that needs to hear your message, it takes the focus off of you. Tony, I would love for us to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about success habits, success principles. You've had a lot of success at your life. You've also had a lot of pivots. What are some of your success principles or high performance habits that you do or have done to get you there? I think the one I touched on earlier was just reading. It's always having some new information. I think that's unfortunate that I think I read a stat that only 25% of adults have read something since school. That's a crazy number to think about. And you think about a book is 10 to $15 and it's a condensed somebody's experience that they've mastered of their Mm -hmm. entire life. And they put something that you can literally carry with you or, or put it in your ears Mm-hmm. Audiobooks are a great way to listen, especially if you speed up the, the playback speed. And yep. I mean, you, if you buy a book for $15 and you learn one thing, one thing, mm-hmm. it's, worth, it's worth $15. Yes. And I learned a lot of things from books. And I think that that's the, the biggest thing is, is you have to make some time for that. And to me, as much as I love music, I don't listen to music anymore. I, I, if I'm driving in my car, I'm listening to audiobooks or podcasts. If I'm at the gym, I'm listening to audiobooks or podcasts. So I actually think about now as I reward myself, I go to the gym every day. That's another thing that you need to be focused on is your health and your fitness. Mm-hmm. Gives you the energy, it gives you mental clarity. And to me, I actually know that if I have meetings all day and I get to go to the gym later that afternoon and I get to listen to my books too, it's like it's a reward system. So I actually mm-hmm. will go learn and burn is what I call it, right? So it's it's compressing time. I like it. And so that's that's a big hack. And I think a lot of times people have reluctance to create content or videos or podcasts because they always think about like, what am I going to talk about? Like you hear that objection all the time. The reason you say that is because you're not feeding your brain with new information on a daily basis. Because if you were to listen to shows like April's or mine, or you read books every day, you will have new thoughts and new perspectives literally every single day. For sure. And that gives you endless amounts of content that you can speak about. Now you're not trying to plagiarize, but you can know what, Hey, I was listening to April interviewing this guy, Tony, and they were talking about this and it really shifted the way I think about it. And I want to talk about that today. It's so true. So easy. I love this learn and burn. I love this concept. Morning routines. Do you have one? Are you religious about it? I don't have a a religious morning thing. I think that, you know, we hear the, I'm I'm an early riser. I okay. usually get up between five, five thirty, and I am a morning person. So I actually wake up and I'm ready to go. And I, that's just who I've always been. I don't, I haven't used an alarm clock in over 10 years, even mm-hmm. when I was corporate, because unless I'm sick, I won't sleep in. So sure. I just make sure that, you know, most people that drag ass when they're trying to get up is they're not really moderating when they go to bed. That's the problem. Like, so true. like I, my body sleeps six, seven hours max. And if I know that, I just go make sure I go to bed. So I have like an hour buffer between what I need to be doing and when I wake up. And so I just, cause I'll tell you what, I hate alarm clocks. I don't think anybody loves their alarm clock. Why do you want to start every day of your life with this, nah, 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 like some annoying crap ass noise sure. that puts you in a bad mood in your first waking seconds? Like, why would you want that? And 
that's how the vast majority of people wake up. It's like, that's terrible. Like you yeah. start your day off like angry, like, wow, what is this thing? Throw it across the room. So true. figure out how often or how long you sleep and just go to bed on time. That's an easy way to control it, you know? So, you know, start setting your alarm like later so that maybe it comes on after you're already awake, just kind of, if you have, if you're worried about oversleeping, right? Yeah. So l- let me take another approach on something. Why do you think, so you've, you've got some things that have, you've, you've utilized that have helped you be successful in a lot of different areas. Why do you think so many other people struggle with success? I think a lot of times they try to do things on their own. I think they, they don't have the mentors, or the coaches are not reading the books or learning from the mistakes of others. I think that they take advice from people who have never achieved or even attempted the things that they want. Mm-hmm. And think about that. If I were to ask my mom, like how to start businesses, I would still be working in a, in a company because mm-hmm. she doesn't know. And the thing is that we look at authority roles. We look at our parents or we look mm-hmm. at our teachers or we look at our professors and we think that, hey, they're an authority. So I need to take their advice. But that's not always true. You got to ask yourself, has that person attempted at least and failed at that? Or yes. have they achieved at that? And start taking the advice of the people that do that. And another thing is like, would you take advice with someone you wouldn't change, trade places with? So true. You know? So I think a lot of times we look at our friends and and you got to realize that the friends, the whole crab in the bucket mentality exists. And it's not just lower middle class or middle class or it's at every level. Every level. Every level. Every level. We talk a lot about peer group here. And and the way I define it is you have your default peer group and your design peer group. And your default peer group are people that you live next to, people that the parents of your kids, people you work with. And that's sort of who you default. And you will have barbecues with them and we'll hang out with them. But how often do we design our peer group? And that's really important is bringing in people into your peer group that have done the things that you want to do because it normalizes success. So way back in the day when I started in business, I started in real estate. And it was amazing to me how I became a real estate investor very young, how many people gave me real estate advice that did not own real estate, right? And they're the ones that are the most prolific in their advice. And it took me a while to realize that the cousin or the uncle or someone that's actually never even bought a house, bought a a rental property, certainly not that, they're not the person to take advice from. And I didn't know anybody. I knew no real estate investors. You have to go out and find the people that have succeeded in the thing. And I, and I would even caution you against talking to someone who's failed in it. They're going to tell you all the ways it doesn't work. And they're probably going to have a piss poor attitude about it. So go find someone who has been successful at that thing and bring them into your peer group because it normalizes success. If you want to run a marathon and you've never run one, just go have coffee every week with a marathon runner and you'll pick up that, that it'll become normal for you. And then you get all the tips and tricks. But one of the biggest benefits is it just normalizes success in the thing that you want to get after. Yeah. As a car guy, I'm, I'm big on acceleration. Mm. And the thing is, if you don't have money, you better have time because it's going to take time for you to learn the things. And if you do have money and you can afford it, go hire that coach, go hire that mm-hmm. advisor, go hire the specialist that knows that that specific thing that you want to achieve And it will greatly enhance your acceleration. And you won't have to worry about that because as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, even as a corporate climber, your objective should be getting to bigger problems because there are always Mm. challenges and bottlenecks in anything we do. You should, it should be your goal to get to the next bigger challenge, right? And if that means just paying somebody to take care of this little one to get you past that little short hurdle quickly, great. Go to the next one. You get a bigger hurdle. You get them bigger and bigger and bigger. So acceleration is key. And I think a lot of times people waste years of their lives trying to figure things out for themselves, especially something that's a, a skill set that they're lacking or something they're not even interested in. You know, they're actually 
it's kind of like what you said, going back to be the, the attorney that doesn't want to be the attorney. Like if you don't like doing graphic design or building websites, why are you going to teach yourself that unless you have an interest in it? See, so go hire someone to go do those things, get past that hurdle, get to the next bigger problem. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So I have two follow-up questions, but before I go there, Tony, where do pivoters connect with you? If they want to know more about your events, the book, the podcast, where's the best way place for them to connect? I would say since you're already listening to a podcast, I would invite you to come listen to mine. It's it's called 365 Driven. And my website is 365driven.com. Perfect. We will put it in the show notes as well and make sure that we connect you with Tony. So a couple of follow-up questions. What is next for you? What lies ahead? Well, I actually just signed a TV deal for a documentary. That I can't really disclose all the de- details on, but they'll be filming later this year. And that'll be a 2022 release. So that's something that... That's exciting. You put your your message out there big enough and certain people will hear it or find it. And then you end up in those kind of things. So that's the thing. And and we're doing the live events. we got a live event coming up in November 17 through 19 in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. And we like to do these bucket list type getaway entrepreneurship vacation events. So we always do one day of presenters, public speakers, people who have been guests on my show. Mm -hmm. And then we always do an adventure thing. And this time we're going to actually rent out a road course for high performance driving school. And we're going to drive 700, amazing. Yeah, 700 horsepower Hellcats. And it's unlimited to 40 people because that's literally how many cars they have available. So it's 40 cars, but that's what we do. This is our third event. We did a Utah event where we hiked in Zion National Park. And then mm. we did a Montana event. We hiked Glacier National Park and went whitewater rafting. And now we're going to race cars. So each probably two, two events a year is what my wife and I kind of like. And it's just like a vacation we keep it small. We make sure our speakers in, in, engage the whole three days and hang out. So yeah, it's always a fun time. That's amazing. We'll definitely put links into that because that sounds like an amazing experience to have for pivoters. I just need to point something out before I ask you the final question. From a guy that lived a private life who didn't necessarily, didn't like showing up on camera, you said, didn't, had stage fright, didn't like showing up on stage. And now you're doing a TV show. What a freaking pivot right there. I mean, what a, an expansion. You really probably had to become someone very different than you started with to be comfortable with that growth. Absolutely. I'm not the same person I was a year ago, much less four years ago when I started this. Yeah. Do you like the Ed Milet concept of we're supposed to outgrow ourselves? And, we're, and the worst thing we could do is get, you know, die, go to heaven, meet ourselves. And it's the best version of us. And we don't look anything like him. Uh, when he tells that story in person, Everybody in the room is crying. I know. It's so good. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. We're both Ed Milet fans. So this, this is amazing. I have our one closing question, Tony. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? I could tell the world one thing. I think that we need to be more accepting of other people who disagree with us. Hmm. I think more than ever, I think we see a lot of turmoil, especially on the news and on social media and disagreement. And the thing is, is that we should invite disagreement. We should be always respectful and polite with that. It's okay to have bold thoughts. I'm a very bold and direct person myself, but I also respectfully disagree with people. And I think that until we have open channels of communication, we stop shutting people off because they just simply disagree or they have different beliefs or they're a different religion or they look different. The world is never going to heal. And I truly believe that there is unity, but The problem is that the people that preach unity are also the ones that want to just throw fire at everybody else that disagrees with them. So it's okay to be tolerant and loving, but why have a caveat that says it's only tolerant and loving of the people that agree with me? So 
start to challenge those kind of things and start to be a, a lighthouse in those kind of situations. Go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to create a safe place. Like people interact on my Facebook profile. It's pretty, it's pretty big and there's thousands of followers, but they know that they want to have an open conversation on there that I will protect their, 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 their behaviors or their responses because I don't tolerate people being negative. And even with my entrepreneurship groups, negative people, passive aggressive people, people that want to cause problems or start drama, I kick them out. Yeah. I don't, I don't want those people in my group. So you got to become the, the, the steward of your, your community and the people that you're growing, the people that you want to have around you, if you treat them with respect and, and show that this is what we tolerate, then you'll mm-hmm. get more of that. And the world needs that. For sure. Tony, thank you so much for coming on Pivot Me today. You added tremendous value and I will put the links in the show notes. Guys, definitely go check out his events and the work that he's doing and connect with Tony. Thank you for the opportunity, April. It's great and love your energy and I'm glad we got to connect. Thank you. Purpose is far greater than your family. Providing for your family, that is your duty, not your responsibility. Man, did that statement rock anyone else's world when he said it? When Tony goes on to say, if I say I just want to provide for my son and my wife, it's usually an indicator that I do not want to go further in this conversation and that you are supposed to stop asking me questions. How many of us have been there? How many of us have thought, isn't that enough? And just given ourselves a pass. And he's right. When we say our family is our purpose, then it's a, it's a get out of jail free card. It's acceptable. It's noble. It's enough. Or is it? What if everybody just took care of their family and stopped right there? We would have no progress, no innovation, no nonprofits. We have to think bigger than just our family. Yes, we need to take care of them. But as Tony says, that's your duty, not your purpose. One of the things Tony said that really struck me is putting my purpose over my fear. And this has been the theme for many top performers that go very visible, right? They get very, they get a lot of visibility. They're visible on social media, a lot of platforms, they go viral. When they put their business and their life on display, there is a lot of fear that rides shotgun to that. Some people think that people are doing it for their egos, but what I found was that a lot of times people are trying to do it for impact. And again, they can get judged for that. What if? What will my staff think of me? What will my aunt Nancy think of me? The kids I went to college with, am I a sellout? It's all based in fear. If you connect with being visible, with, with speaking, connect that piece to really impacting people, then we connect with our purpose. I'm walking away from this conversation asking myself, where have I let my fear be louder than my purpose? Where have I focused on what could go wrong instead of who I could impact? I hope this conversation impacted you the way it impacted me. Make it a great day, Pivoters. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.